Lord Jesus was about to suffer an incredible amount for our lives. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to break down what is commonly called the Last Supper. It is what we celebrate today as Holy Communion. It's what we come together and we proclaim together that we are a family. It's our Thanksgiving meal. See, the church gathers globally. Some churches do it weekly. Other churches do it monthly. But we gather together and we gather to give thanks to God and to say that he is coming again for his church. It is our monthly, weekly, yearly Thanksgiving meal. Now let's listen to the story of the very first Thanksgiving meal. Mark 14. And here's what it says. On the first day, Mark 14, verse 12, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house, he enters, the teacher asks, Where is my guest from where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large room upstairs furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. By the way, I've been here to this room. It still exists right now in Israel. It is called the upper room. The disciples left, went into the city and found things just as Jesus had told them. And so they prepared the Passover. And when evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. When they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. See, I grew up attending a a small little church, storefront church in, in New York City. And as a little kid, one of my favorite Sundays was when they did the Lord's Supper, communion. We'd eat bread and we'd drink wine or grape juice. In remembrance of the body and the blood of Jesus. And because my preacher, as many preachers are and many pastors are, are always long-winded, I'd always get hungry. And so communion was a nice little snack in between the service for me. As I get got older, I realized that it was more than just a snack. It was actually a time to think about the cross. It was a time to think about Jesus. And now that I'm even older, I've studied the scriptures. I've begun to understand that communion and the Lord's Supper was even deeper than that. You see, the Lord's Supper is a powerful picture God places in the scriptures to help get our mind around Jesus' death. 
Have you ever wondered why Jesus had to die? Why the blood of Jesus was necessary for our sins to be forgiven? I just want to set the scene for you, if I could, for just a few moments. Jesus had gathered his disciples together in the upper room. Judas has left the building on his way to betray Jesus. The only people left in that room were Jesus' true disciples. And as he was sitting around with the remaining 11, he did something that was very difficult for us as 21st century Americans, Christians, to understand. And he did something that was shocking. Take this as my body. And he took the cup and when he had given thanks for it, they all drank from it. For you germaphobes, you couldn't be around in the the days of Jesus. They didn't give any gluten-free bread and you all had to drink from the same cup. Gross. (laughs) And he had given thanks. He said, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. You see, as soon as Jesus said those words, I can promise you in that moment, though they had walked with him for over three and a half years, every one of those Jewish men at that table, their jaw dropped and they looked at each other. What in the world did he just say? See, by saying those words, Jesus had broken a thousand years of tradition completely rewriting the meaning of the Passover meal. You see, these men were Jewish. And what they were celebrating was the Passover Seder. It is what we know today, what Jews today celebrate as well during the time of right around Easter, the Passover meal. And if the Jewish leaders had been in that room that night when Jesus was talking, they would have torn their clothes in half, they would have screamed at Jesus at the top of his, their lungs, and they would have called Jesus a heretic. So to understand why this was so radical, and how it helps us understand why Jesus had to die, we need to understand the order and the meaning of the original Passover meal. See, for ancient and present-day Jews, the Passover meal is an annual meal that commemorates a defining moment in Israel's history. See, back in the day, the Jewish people were enslaved by the Egyptians. It was a horrible time of oppression for them. And the Passover meal was to celebrate and be reminded of God releasing the Jewish people from slavery in Egypt. That's what Jesus was doing that night with his disciples. And there were two things that God commanded his people to do at Passover. He commanded them to do it every year and to do it the exact same way every single time. And every year the head of the household would stand up and walk his family through the different elements of the Passover meal. Each step was critical. Each step was to remind them of the exodus. Each step was to remind them of the story of God's deliverance. And the people of God had been doing this since the very first Passover until the night in that upper room when Jesus shifted everything for eternity. See, Jesus' disciples were Jewish. They would have known the order. They would have known the meaning of every part of the meal by heart. In fact, they could have led communion themselves. They could have led this Passover meal themselves. Yet on this night, the head of the house stood up for the first time in the history of the Jewish people and he broke every tradition that the Jewish people had and did Passover completely different than it had ever been done before. In Passover, during a Passover meal, there were four cups. 
Each one had a meaning represented in the four promises that God made to Israel in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 through 7. The very first cup represented the promise of God to the people of God that he was going to rescue them from Egypt. The second cup represented the promise of God that he would free them from their slavery. Two things that were already done. The third cup was the promise of God that he would ultimately redeem them, not by their power, but by his power. And the fourth cup was the future promise of God that he would restore relationship with his people once and for all at some point in the future. See, the head of the household would stand, he would hold the first cup, and he would remind his family that God was going to rescue them from Egypt, and then they would pass the cup around and each drink from it. And they would remember the promise of God. Then he would pick up the second cup and he would do the same. Before he went to the third cup, he would grab bread. He would hold it up and he would break it, reminding his family that the bread stood for the affliction of his people. And each person would take a piece of the bread and they would eat it. And when they took it into themselves, they would stop and they would pause and they would remember the affliction of their forefathers in slavery in Egypt. Imagine the disciples' shock when for the first time in over a thousand years, Jesus breaks this tradition. Mark 14, 22, the beginning of that breaking. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to them and he said, take, this is my body. He didn't say, take, remember the affliction of the people. In the Greek, in the original language, it is even more beautiful than what we understand in our English translations. It literally means take because I myself am this bread. And their jaws would have dropped. From now on, the broken bread no longer represented the affliction of their forefathers taken on by the people of God. It now represented Jesus' body and the truth that he would take on the affliction of the people of God so that they wouldn't have to anymore. This is a beautiful time. It is a time to celebrate church. You no longer have to take your burdens, your afflictions, your problems upon yourself and carry them. You can lay them at the feet of Christ, at the altar of Christ, and he can take your afflictions and he himself bears that burden. He himself says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. The kingdom of God, Jesus said, wouldn't be established by the deliverance of the people of God out of Egypt, but it would be established because of the breaking of Jesus' body. See, he had been telling them for years that the kingdom of God was coming. The disciples just didn't understand the concept that Jesus would have to die in order to establish this kingdom. See, they thought... That the way that the breaking would happen and the newness would happen is that a conqueror would come and by military force expel the entire Roman occupation. But on this night in a crazy radical way, Jesus told them they weren't going to do it that way. He let them know that the kingdom of God would be established by the breaking of something, his body. 
He was going to take the affliction of his people onto himself. He was talking about the cross in that moment when he handed them the bread. He was talking about the nails in his hands and feet when he handed them the bread. He was talking about the torture and the beating. He was talking about the crown of thorns. He was talking about the nakedness and pain. The fact that even though he had never sinned, he was about to become sin and be separated from his heavenly father whom he had known for all eternity. In that moment, he was taking your depression onto himself. He was taking your anxiety onto himself. He was taking your disease onto himself. He was taking your brokenness, your pain, your sadness, your wounds, all onto Shandarabosekitalabasai, all up on his body. He was taking every affliction that you would ever suffer. He was thinking about you 2,000 years before you were born. He thought of you. And he took that affliction onto himself. In the traditional Passover meal, it didn't stop there. After this, the head of the household would lift up some bitter herbs. And they would eat them to remember the bitterness of slavery. I'm going to tell you something, folks. Church, please listen to me. Remember this. Some of us enjoy the taste of our past lives a little bit too much. Some of us enjoy what Jesus delivered us from a little bit too much. Some of us fantasize of what it would be like to be back in that position, to be back living that life. What if my life had been totally different and I could be back living in that same situation? Some of you need to remember this morning, you need to take a bite of that bitter herb and remember how bitter slavery to sin was in your life and just how much the Lord Jesus has delivered you and brought you to and made you new. But Jesus does something interesting. He skips the herbs. He doesn't even talk about them. He passes right over them. Jesus was saying the new kingdom he was establishing would once and for all take away the bitterness of God's people. In the original Passover meal, the head of the household would hold up a grapefruit. And they would eat it to remember the bricks that they made in toil and slavery in Egypt. Once again, Jesus breaks with tradition. He completely skips the fruit to show them that this new kingdom would be established by freeing us from slavery. I don't know about you, but sometimes we don't get this church. Sometimes we don't get how evil sin is, how much it really breaks us, how much it entices us because we want it in that moment. We want that momentary pleasure for that moment. And so we consume, we do, and we entertain sin, but for a moment. And then when it finally has its effect on us, and the depression kicks in, and the sadness kicks in, we curl up in a ball and we wish we'd never done it. Because sin always takes away more from you than it ever gives you. The kingdom of God, though, is built on freedom. Jesus has built it on freedom, the freedom that he brings to your life. Finally, the head of the house would stand up and he would serve the main course. And it was the very best part of the entire meal. It was the lamb. And as they ate it, the head of the house would tell the story of why they were eating it. The lamb which they had killed that morning reminded them of the first Passover night when they were still slaves in Egypt. 
God was trying to loosen the grip of Pharaoh on the people of God. He was sending plagues onto the Egyptians. Frogs, flies, boils, even the Nile turning into blood. But the very final plague that God would unleash on the nation of Egypt was the plague of death. And in this one and final act, God would bring his sword of justice upon the Egyptians. But God told Moses about this final plague ahead of time. God told Moses he would send the angel of death to kill the firstborn of the Egyptians and of the Israelites too. And I'm sure the people of God were wondering, why would he do that? See, when it came time for God to pass judgment over sin, the Egyptians and the Israelites were both equally guilty. The people of God and the Egyptians were both sinners because we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And at the end of the day, God's people are just as guilty as the Egyptians. There was a difference, however. God provided a way for his people to be saved from this death. He was willing to make an exchange with them. God in his mercy was willing to offer them a substitute. If they would take a spotless lamb, if they would shed its blood and put it over the doorposts of their home, then the angel of death would pass over them. That's why it's called Passover. Not only did Jesus skip the herbs and the fruit, but he didn't talk about the lamb either. Why would he skip over the most important part of the Passover meal? Jesus was trying to show his disciples something that night. He was the lamb. They didn't have to kill a lamb ever again. Jesus was God's great exchange. He is God's once and for all and forever substitute. And in just a few hours, he would walk to the cross and he would shed his blood for the entirety of humanity. If they and we would just trust in his once and forever sacrifice and place the blood of Jesus over the doorposts of our life, then the angel of death will too pass over us. We will not die. We will live we will be in eternity with the living God and there is nothing sweeter there is nothing better than to know that when I close my eyes on this earth I will open them in the one to come shadowed by the light and the presence and the love of an almighty God it is the promise of God over your life that you would never again be separated from him That you won't die, but you will live. That he has provided a way. And after the breaking of the bread, Jesus jumped right to what we know as the third cup. It was the promise of God that he would ultimately redeem his people. Not by our power, but by his power. Look at what it says, Mark 14, 23 to 24. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. See, Jesus's blood was going to redeem them and us. It is the blood of Jesus that saves us. It is not your effort. It is not your work. You can't do it by a checklist. Church, I found people, and let me just give you an admonition. I found people that go into the church on a weekly basis, and the pastor said it last week. He said, just because you sit in a car for a few hours doesn't make you a car. Just because you sit in a church for a few hours doesn't make you a Christian. It's what you do when you get out of here. 
It's how you live when you get out of here. Now, that doesn't mean that you're perfect, but it means that you're a sinner, but you're washed in God's blood and you know when to go to him for repentance and forgiveness. I spoke to the guys in the prison about this the other day. I explained to them the importance of what we read initially at the beginning of the service. How God gave two powerful commands, love God and love people. He said, if I could summarize the entirety of the scriptures, that is exactly how I would do it. Love God, love people. I said, we're really good at loving God and having a good relationship with God and wanting communion with God. But I said, we're really terrible at loving people. We're really bad at that. I said, we really, and it's true. Right? Because I'm going to tell you something. When I sin against my spouse, you know who's the first one to hear it? The Lord. And I ask him for forgiveness. And then you know what happens? I forget to ask her. And it's the truth. Don't we mess up with people and we say, Lord, forgive me. I should have never done that. But we never go to people and we ask them, forgive me for having done that. Forgive me for having spoken that way. Forgive me for having had that attitude. Sometimes we need a little saving from ourselves, church. We need saving from ourselves. We take the mantle in this church, and, and I, said it, I said it week after week, that one of the things that we would say after every service is, we're going to live love this week. After every single service, because I wanted to serve as a reminder to you that as you walk out of this place, you are the living embodiment of love to other people. But it's not your works. It's not your efforts. God saves us through the blood of the Lamb, the Lamb of God. That's why John the Baptist, the very first time that John the Baptist sees Jesus as an older adult, he sees him and he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's why Paul says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's why the John, the great disciple, apostle of God says in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave, come on church, That whoever should. Come on, come on, come on. You guys are weak. We got to start this again. Come on now. Come on, you guys know John 3.16. You guys better memorize that. It is one of the most important scriptures in the entirety of the Bible. For God so that he gave that whoever would believe but have eternal life. He came so that you could have eternal life. And the fourth cup, the fourth cup of God in Exodus 6, uh, chapter 6, verse 6 through 7, was the future promise that one day he would completely renew the relationship with his people. See, Jesus had picked up the third cup and he stated that it was the blood, the covenant that would redeem his people through the power of God. But one of the things that he never does, he never picks up the fourth cup. But he does say this. It is incredible. You ever watch a movie before? Let me tell you, I am am movie buff. I like watching episodes of something, right? If I go on Netflix and there's like one season of something, I'm not watching it, right? But if there's like five or six seasons, I'm like, okay, I could get down with this. I I have a future to look forward to. And I hang after every season and I look and I'm like, oh, I wonder what's gonna happen next. Let me check it out. 
or you hang after every episode. Or I remember when I was a kid and we would watch cartoons or watch shows and it would say to be continued. To be continued. This is Jesus's to be continued. He never picks up the fourth cup. In fact, here's what he says to his disciples at that table. He says, truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. See, God is going to completely renew our relationship with him. Jesus said he wouldn't drink that cup at that time, but would one day. He's going to drink it again in the kingdom of God when we are together again. You see, there is a day that's coming, church, when the blood-bought, Holy Ghost-filled, Spirit-empowered, blood-washed Christians will be bought up into the kingdom of God, and we will be surrounded at a dinner table, and it will be called the marriage supper of the Lamb, and where we will lift up the fourth cup together, where we will drink it anew with Jesus and we'll say, Jesus, here's to you. It is all because of you. You've redeemed us. You've renewed us. You've washed us. And we have begun life anew with you forever in your presence. I don't know about you, but I am looking forward to the day when that fourth cup of the Passover is lifted up by the King of glory. I am looking forward to the day when Jesus makes all things all things new. And I'm going to tell you this, church. I love scripture. And I always love to preach it to you from a practical but an academic perspective so that you can get the history of the word. But I'm going to go a little spiritual on you this morning. And here's what I'm going to say. I believe that the second coming of Christ has never been closer than it is I believe that Jesus is coming again for his church. I believe that he is coming soon. I believe that whatever revival comes will be the very final harvest that Jesus makes his final attempt to reach out to the hearts and the minds and the lives of people before he says, sound the trumpet. I am coming again for my church. But until that time, we have responsibilities. We have obligations as a people of God. And it is to share that love. But let me tell you this, church. I want to say it to you again. It is not just important that we share love. Because love is a very arbitrary concept in our society. And it means a lot of things from people from a lot of different faith groups. It is important that we take that love and that as we are doing love and talking to people and living love out loud, it is important that we theologically tie that love to Jesus. That we let people know that we are anchored in love, but we are anchored in the person of Christ. Because love can mean a lot of things in our society. But all of definition of love in society could never match up to the embodiment of perfect love that descended down to this earth and gave himself out and sacrificed his life for all of us. And it is that love that the world needs to know about. It is that love that was declared on that very first Thanksgiving meal when Jesus stood with the men who loved him most and declared to them that there would be a new beginning 
newness in the kingdom of God. So until that time, to be continued, Jesus says, until the day when we meet him face to face and where he raises a glass of wine of joy to us, the fourth cup of the Passover that says, it is finished, I have made all things new. And until that day, live for him, live love, live for Jesus, love God, love people, because this world needs Jesus so desperately.